Heavenly Father, we, um, we come before you this morning, Lord, with just expectant hearts, longing to hear from you, longing to receive from you, longing to be touched by you, Lord. And so we pray that you would meet each one of us where we are and speak, speak your truth into our spirits, Lord. We ask that in your name, Jesus. So this morning, we aren't going to move straight through the passage as we typically do. We're going to look at a couple different verses in the passage, and next time we're going to come back and kind of touch on what we missed here. But I want to specifically look at some of the details surrounding Peter's denial of Jesus. Remember back in John chapter 13 and verse 37, Peter and John are talking, and Peter tells Jesus, Lord, I'll, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll follow you even to death. And remember, Jesus tells Peter, he says, look, here's the deal, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will have denied that you even knew me. Not once, not twice, not, I mean, three, three times he says you're going to deny me before the rooster even crows. And so last week we saw between six and 700 men, these armed soldiers, come to arrest Jesus there in Gethsemane on, on the Mount of Olives. And remember, Peter, he steps up with his sword, and he, and he starts swinging it. And you're not going to arrest Jesus when I'm here. Right? Peter's like that one friend every guy has grown up that's always ready to fight. I don't know if any, I think, I think every guy's had a friend like that. What'd you say? Right? And they're always at, jeez, you know, what are they going to get us into now? Right? Peter's that guy. He's the, what is he going to get into? Get us into now, guy. And, and so we see Peter there. He, he, he's ready to fight. Pulls out his sword, chops off Malchus's ear. And remember Jesus, he bends over and he picks up Malchus's ear and puts it back on his head. He reattaches it. Tells Peter to put away his sword. And we saw this picture of Jesus in, in full command of the situation. He says, all right, here's what's going to happen. You're going to let my followers go and then I'll go with you. And Jesus, he allows himself to be arrested. Jesus allows himself to be bound and led away to the home of the high priest. And that's where we're going to pick up the text this morning in verse 15. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus. And so did the other disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. So Jesus is handcuffed. He's arrested, he's led away, and we know from the other Gospels that the balance, the rest of the disciples, they, they kind of scattered into the wind. They went into hiding. Only Peter and John had the courage to follow their Lord at this point. And I think sometimes Peter sort of gets a bad rap, doesn't being a coward. Sort of gets beaten like a pinata on May 5th, doesn't he? Right? I mean, people are always attacking him. But look. He's there. Where's everyone else at? Everyone else is off cowering in a corner somewhere. Where's James? Where's Matthew? Where's Thomas? Only Peter and John are here. It says the other disciple was known to the high priest, talking about John. And this is a bit of speculation and sort of some extra biblical accounts. It's not gospel, but apparently from what we can kind of put together, John was from a fairly well-off family. Right? We know that old father Zebedee, he owned a fishing business. He owned multiple boats. 
And in those days, we know historically that, that fish from Galilee, this, this special salted fish they made, it was, a, it was a delicacy. It was in high demand in Jerusalem. And if you had money and you lived in Jerusalem, you would order this fish from Galilee. And so apparently it's likely that John's dad had the, had the account to supply the temple or at least the high priest with this special fish from Galilee. And so John probably made those deliveries, or at least some of the deliveries. So he would be down there in Jerusalem delivering this fish. And as the son of a, of a relatively wealthy businessman doing business with the temple, John was likely acquainted with the high priest. He was known to the high priest, it says. So that's the most likely scenario. And John and Peter, they arrive at the high priest's house. And it's a gated house, we learn. It's got a fence all the way around it. And if you've been to a lot of different areas in the world, all throughout Central and South America, you'll see this. Houses have these, these fences all the way around them, these tall concrete fences, and they usually have like pieces of broken bottles sticking out of them or chunks of rebar, right? And they offer a, a degree of security and a, and a degree of privacy. And so that's the situation at the pri high priest's home. And we'll see in a minute that, that there's this door there, there's a gate, and there's a gatekeeper who, who allowed people to come in and, and stop some people from coming in. And so as Peter and John arrive, the doorkeeper, she recognizes John, and she lets him in. I know maybe she's thinking that he's delivering fish. So we find John, he's there in the, in the front yard of the high priest. But Peter, verse 16, stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So Peter's outside the gate, probably trying to find a little jar, crack in the fence that he can look through, peeping through the hole. And John goes back to the gate and he talks to the lady there. And he says, hey, you know, can, can my friend come in? Now, the gatekeepers were very low on the social ladder. They were the, the lowest tier of servants. The gatekeepers were typically the ones who washed people's feet when they would come into the home. And so John, he's a young man. He probably flashes her a little smile, you know. Good evening, miss. Hey, can my friend come in too? He's with me. And I don't know the situation. Maybe, maybe she fancies the son of thunder or whatever. But for some reason, she, she lets Peter in as well. And the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? She says, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And didn't I, didn't I see you out there handing out fish and loaves the other day? Wasn't it you that, that tried to walk on the water? And another one of the gospels, she says, you're a Galilean. I, I, I recognize your accent. And accents are sort of a, they're a dead giveaway, aren't they? You, you can't really lose your accent. I lived in Belize for 14 years, and I, and I understand Creole completely. And I can speak Creole reasonably well. But I always sound American when I speak it. As the Belizeans say, I sound white. I always sound white, after, even after 14 years. And, and even here, you can tell if somebody's from down south, Right? Or if they're from the East Coast, or if they're from Texas, or, or the West Coast, or the Midwest. Right? Sort of by their accent and the words they use, right? If you use words like, like ifin, 
And all of y'all, you're probably from the South, right? If you say use guys and forget about it, you're probably from the East Coast. If you use words like pumpkin spice latte, you're probably, well. And I remember a few years ago, there was this thing kind of floating around on social media. And it claimed that it could ask you a few vocabulary questions and tell exactly where you were from. And so I kind of piqued my interest, and I answered the 25 vocabulary questions. And it's, it's crazy how it's, it's able to, to zero in on exactly where you're from by, by your choice of words. And I'm not just saying it says, oh, you're from the south or you're from the northwest. It can, like, specify what county you're from and, like, what, and sometimes even what city you're from. And I don't know if we realize how, how, how specific our, our accents and language is, even more so before radio, right, and before TV, before it was so much more kind of homogenized. All that to say that when Peter spoke, it was very apparent where he was from. And she says, you're a Galilean, aren't you? You, you sound like you're from up north. Nope, not me. I if he's trying to change his accent. He says, I am not. What we see here is Peter makes his first denial of Jesus. This is Peter, this big, rough and tough fisherman. This is sword-wielding, walking on water Peter. And he denies that he knows Jesus to a little girl. And I imagine he must have realized instantly what he did. That's not going to happen again. I won't make that mistake again, he must have thought. I learned my lesson. I won't be found denying Jesus again. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. So this is an interesting scene. It's cold outside. It's the middle of the night. And I don't know if you've ever spent any time in the desert. But in the desert, it can be blazing hot in the, in the daytime. And all of a sudden, as soon as the sun goes down, the temperatures just plummet, right? You know, I, when I lived in Southern California, my dad and I, we would go out rattlesnake hunting sometimes. And we'd have to go camp out in the desert to do it. And it'd be 105 degrees in, in the daytime. And you just pour in sweat. But as soon as that sun goes down, it's like 50 degrees. And so you have to stick, light a fire to keep warm. And it's the same deal here in Israel, right? So someone, they light up a little, a little charcoal fire. It says a little campfire, and everyone gathers around it trying to keep warm. The servants are there. The soldiers are there. The temple guards are there. They're all gathered around. And Peter starts to kind of scoot in to get close to the fire to warm himself. And we see him here. He's, he's taking comfort, really, in the presence of the enemy. He's taking comfort in a place that he shouldn't have been in the first place. And the next few verses, they take us to a different scene, the interrogation of Jesus. And we're going to come back to that next week. We're going to skip ahead to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of the disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. Now I wonder... I wonder how many of us have found ourselves in a position like this, 
You know, we're here at church on Sundays. We're singing away. You know, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. We're all pumped up, ready to take the world for Jesus, ready to, to, to storm the gates of Hades. And then comes Monday and work and school or you know, spending time hanging out with unbelievers. And maybe you feel like you just want to get warm by the fire. You just want to find a little comfort in the world. You just want to fit in a little bit. You know, hey, I thought you were a, a, a church lady. What, what are you doing laughing at that joke? Well, I go to church, but I'm not a, I'm not a fanatic. Right? I heard you're on the worship team. I, I heard you teach Sunday school. Uh, I'm just doing some community service hours. You know? Well, I saw you carrying around a Bible. Well, you know, I'm just trying to be a little more spiritual these days. Friday night rolls around. Hey, some of us are getting together at the bar after work. You want to come? And the drinks start flowing. Hey, I thought you were a Christian. What are you doing here? I go to church sometimes, but I need to find a husband somewhere, right? And our guys at the gym talking about ladies, degrading them, discussing their anatomies, and, and sometimes people start to join in. Oh, I thought you were a Christian. What are you doing talking like that? Right? And, and what happens is when we start hanging out with the wrong people, we start to get sucked in. Seeking that, that comfort and that warmth and that, and that fellowship with the world. And before long, we're just like Peter. We're, we're denying the Lord. And I think in reality, most of us have already experienced this at some point. Right? Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15.33, doesn't he? He says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And how many of us could do with implementing that principle in our lives a little better? Bad company corrupts good morals. The inevitable reality is that you end up becoming like those that you hang out with. You become like those that you fellowship with, that you find comfort with. And so that's what Paul is talking about when he says not being unequally yoked with unbelievers. Right? And Paul is using this analogy of oxen, right? A yoke was a big piece of wood that it would use to, to harness two oxen together to plow a field or, or to tow a wagon or whatever. And if you have two oxen latched together towing a wagon, they're going to go in a pretty straight line. But if you've got a oxen and a German shepherd tied together, right, they're unequally yoked. And they're going to keep veering off one direction or another, and they're not going to be able to, to stay on course. They're not going to be able to, to plow evenly. And that's the idea. And, and so often when we, when we talk about this verse, it's used in the context of, of dating and marriage, isn't it? Right? So much so that there's a, there's a Christian online dating service called Equally Yoked. I see a lot of you single people are writing that down already. How do you, how do you, how do you spell that, Pastor? Um... But I remember when I was in youth ministry, I used to have to always kind of to give the talk to the kids in youth group about why it was important not to date unbelievers. And that's part of what, that's, I mean, certainly that's a big part of what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 6.14. But in Scripture, it's more than just dating. He's talking about a, a, a far larger context. He's talking about business, friendships, partnerships. He's talking about fellowship. He's talking about why 
being yoked together with a believe, unbeliever and why it doesn't work. Because, because you're naturally going to be poor, pulled in different directions. You're naturally going to want to go different ways. You're going to want to go down different paths. And it either causes conflict in the relationship or compromise to the Lord. And the reality is, we become like who we hang out with. And, and that works out great if we're hanging out with people who are encouraging us and lifting us up, right? That works out great if we're hanging out with believers, if we're hanging out with, with strong Christians. You know, as the scripture talks about, iron sharpens iron. And we build each other up and we encourage one another. But if we're hanging out with the world, if we're finding our comfort and our warmth and our acceptance and our fellowship in the world, we're going to eventually get dragged down to that level. And we'll end up denying Jesus, either in word or in deed. Either, either by the things we say or by the things we do. And that's just the reality of it. And we need to understand what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 15, that bad company corrupts good character all the time. And so the question is, who are you fellowshipping with? Who are you spending your time with? Who are you becoming more like? Are you becoming more like Jesus or more like the world? And you've probably heard the example before. But if I stand on a chair, is it easier for, for you to yank me off the chair or for me to pull you up onto the chair? It's obviously easier to get drugged down than to pull somebody up. And I'm not saying, just to be clear, I'm not saying that you shouldn't spend time with unbelievers. Of course, we have to spend time with unbelievers. How else are we going to share the gospel? How else are we going to communicate the, the truth of God with people? And we see in Scripture that Jesus clearly often spent time with unbelievers. So much so that he was accused of being a wine-bibber, right? He was accused of hanging out with publicans and sinners all the time. What I'm saying is don't let that be your comfort. Don't let that be your fellowship. Don't let that be your primary influence. We need to be recharged fellowshipping with other believers, spending time with the Lord. Verse 26, one of the high priests, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. So a few minutes later, one of the slaves of the high priest speaks up. He says, hey, didn't I see you a couple hours ago in the garden? Wasn't that you that, that hacked off my cousin's ear? I, I'm sure that was you. I saw you over there by the olive tree with that bloody sword in your hand. And he said, well, uh, uh. and this would have been a great opportunity to share the gospel, wouldn't it? To share the love of Jesus. Yeah, I chopped it clean off. But Jesus, he picked it up and he reattached it and he brought healing and restoration and wholeness and he wants to do the same for all of us. And Peter could have said that, but he didn't. He denied it. And it says, at once a rooster crowed. And we know from Mark's gospel Chapter 14, verse 71, it says that Peter began to curse. Now, Peter was a sailor, 
And so you might think when it says he began to curse, he was cursing like a sailor. That's not what was going on. It was much worse than that. It, what it means is he began to evoke a curse upon himself. He says, I do not know the man of which you speak. I swear to God, I don't know him. Send me to hell. Let me be accursed if I've ever even met that man. That, that's the degree of what Peter is saying. And three times now, Peter has denied the Lord. Three times, Peter has pretended that he didn't even know Jesus, that he wasn't really a follower, that he wasn't a disciple. And immediately, And let me read three verses from Luke's account. Luke chapter 22, verse 60. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. In mid-sentence, immediately, while Peter is still talking, while the words are still falling out of his mouth, the rooster begins to crow. And at that exact moment, it says, Jesus turns and he looks at Peter. Their eyes meet. Peter sees Jesus' eyes, the pain and the sadness and the brokenheartedness and the compassion and the love. And he remembers the words, I told you, Peter. And it says in verse 62 that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Mark says that he broke down and wept. And if we left the story right here, it would be a sad tale, wouldn't it? It would be a depressing account. But the story doesn't end here. This is just the beginning. And it starts here with Peter's heart, with his attitude. It says that he wept bitterly. His heart was broken over the things that he had done. We see that Peter was grieved that he had denied his master. His heart was broken that he denied his Savior, his God, his friend. And what we see here in Peter is, is, is a real brokenheartedness, repentance. We see genuine contrition. The psalmist writes in Psalm 51, 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And I think that's what we see in Peter here. A heart that is broken before the Lord over the things that he had said and done. And a couple chapters back, we saw Judas do the same thing, didn't we? Judas went out and betrayed the Lord. And this is interesting to me then that, that Peter and Judas essentially went out and did the same thing, didn't they? Right? They both, they both sold Jesus out with, with very different outcomes. Judas went out and hung himself. And Peter goes out and becomes the first pope. If you're Catholic, right? What's the difference? about his heart. It's about his attitude. Jesus would have forgiven Judas. He would have restored Judas if Judas had repented and come back. And what does repent mean, by the way? 
The Greek word is metanoia. And it means to change direction. It means to change your heart concerning a matter. And Judas was sad. He regretted what he has done, but, but he, never, he never called out to the Lord. He never repented. Instead, he went out and hung himself. Peter left, and he wept bitterly, but he came back to the Lord. To use two different personalities in Scripture, right? We see Gomer in the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. She, she goes out, and she... She sells herself into prostitution and slavery, and she's miserable. But it, it left to her own devices, she just stays there. She doesn't do anything but sit there and lament her condition. And we see a similar story with the prodigal son, right? He, he gets his life good and messed up, and he finds himself out starving, living in squalor, jealous of what the livestock is eating. But scripture says that he came to his senses and, and he repented, right? He changed his mind on the matter. He changed direction and he, he went home. He says, this is stupid. I, I'm, I'm ruining my life. I'm, I'm going to go home. I'm going to return to my father. And he was received and he was restored. Peter here, his heart is filled with love for Jesus. And he just couldn't stay away. Remember John chapter 6? There's this huge crowd gathered around Jesus. And Jesus addresses the crowd and he says, Listen, do you guys all want to follow me? Yeah, Jesus, we love you. We want to follow you, right? You just fed us fish and bread and you took care of our needs. We want to serve you, Jesus. We want to make you our king. And Jesus says, All right, cool. Here's the deal you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now listen, they didn't have John 15 yet. They didn't understand the Lord's table. They didn't understand communion in the new covenant. Jesus just says, all right, guys, we got to eat up. Take a bite. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. People said, whoa, they're getting a little kooky. Getting kind of, that's too weird, Jesus. That's too hard. And everyone left but the twelve. And Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, are you guys going too? Are you guys going to leave me? And one of my very favorite verses in scripture, John 6, 69, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, Peter says, Jesus, what other options do we have? Where else can we go? You're the one. You're it. You're the Savior. You're the Messiah. We're with you, Lord. We're yours, for better or worse. We see that love, that devotion to Jesus. And later on, after the resurrection, remember the guys are scattered. We find them later on. They go back to fishing. They don't know what else to do. So they're out there fishing, and Jesus shows up on the, on the seashore, barbecuing some fish. And, 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 and Peter recognizes that it's Jesus. And the boats start to head in, but they're not going fast enough. And so remember Peter, he, he strips down to his underwear and swims in. Right? He doesn't have time for the boat to reach the shore. He can't wait to see Jesus again. Right? That's, that's the heart of Peter. That's the difference between Peter and, and Judas. And an interesting story. Church history tells us that later on in life, when Peter would get up to preach the gospel... 
there would be naysayers and, and hecklers that would gather. And every time he proclaimed the gospel, they'd stand in the back of the room and make rooster noises. That'd be a, that'd be a tough crowd to preach to, wouldn't it? Every time I'm trying to read it, and it must have reminded Peter of this time in the yard with the high priest. Man, I bet you the enemy tried to use that too, didn't he? Peter, remember what you said? Peter, remember what you did? Peter, remember that little girl and you ran away scared? John writes in Revelations 12 that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And Peter, he could have fallen into the enemy's trap, accusation and condemnation, feeling sorry for himself. Peter could have said, you know, woe is me, and used that as an excuse not to serve the Lord any further. But he didn't, did he? He used the reminders of his failing to recall the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And that's, a, I can't emphasize what an important principle that is for us. Our failings and our fallings, they can either cause, cause guilt and drive us away from the Lord, or they can remind us of grace and drive us to Jesus and drive us to the cross. Every morning when that rooster crowed, Peter was reminded of what happened. But I bet you those crows came to remind Peter of Lamentations 3. Verse 22, it says this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. His mercies are new every morning. Amen. His love never ends. His mercies are boundless. His faithfulness is beyond measure. Man, there are so many days when I think, man, I have, I have used up my allotment of grace. There's no more mercy left. He can't still love me. And that, that, that supply of grace, it's renewed every morning. His love, his mercy, his, his faithfulness, they're infinite, they're eternal, they're endless. Remember Luke chapter 7? Jesus is at dinner with some Pharisees. And it says that a, a certain woman comes in. An immoral woman, the scripture says. And she comes and she, she breaks open this expensive bottle of perfume. And, and she pours it on the feet of Jesus. And she's weeping and she's, she's washing Jesus' feet with, with her hair. And the disciples begin to question what's going on. And Jesus tells them a parable. He says, listen. There was a guy, and he loaned two, two other guys some money. He won, loan, loaned one guy 50 pieces of silver, and he loaned the other guy 500 pieces of silver. And when the due date came, when the loan came up, neither guy was able to repay their debt. And the man, being generous and compassionate, he forgave both debts. And Jesus asked Peter, he says, who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Peter says, the one who was forgiven the greater debt, I suppose, right? The one who was forgiven 500 coins. And Jesus says, that's right, Peter. And then Jesus goes on to explain the parable. He says, look, I came here to these Pharisees' home, and they didn't even offer to, to wash my feet. And this woman comes in here. 
with this expensive offering and, and she's weeping and she's using her tears and her hair and this perfume to wash my feet. And Jesus says in verse 47, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. She has shown me much love. But the person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Jesus says she loves me so much because she understood how wretched and how sinful she was. She is aware, I like how Jesus says, and her sins are many. Right? She was aware of all that she had been forgiven of. And I think Peter now finds himself in the same category. He knew how far he had fallen. Any sense of, uh, of his own righteousness, his own ability, had been shattered at this point. He knew how badly he had sinned. He knew he had been forgiven of much. And so he loved Jesus all that much more. And here's the point as we close this morning. We look at this man, Peter, so, so self-confident. I love you, Lord. I'll die for you. And we see him fall so far. We see him sink so low, denying the faith three times to a little girl, cursing the name of Jesus. We see a man whom Jesus restored, a man who Jesus forgave, a man who, who the Lord greatly used, right? Peter went on to become the, the father of the early church. That night there, when Peter was cursing the name of Jesus and fear of a little servant girl, who would have ever thought that Peter would lead the church? Who would dream that he would go on to be mightily used by God? But in just a little over a month, Peter would stand up before thousands of people and proclaim the gospel. And, and, and 3,000 people came to know the Lord. Now listen, I am not excusing your sin today. I am not saying that what you have done or what you might be in the middle of doing doesn't matter. But I'm saying this. You can either let your past be a source of guilt and shame. You can let it be chains that hold you down and, and stop you from serving the Lord. Or they can be a reminder of His great grace and mercy. They can be a reminder of God's love for you. They can be a reminder of, of the faithfulness of the one who saved you from your sins. And I hope that you choose the second option. Allow the Lord to forgive you. Allow the Lord to bring healing and to bring restoration, to bring wholeness and forgiveness into your life. And listen, if you don't know the Lord here this morning, if you haven't met the Lord yet, you know, and maybe you're in a place where, where you feel like you've, just, you've gone too far, like, yeah, I, I'd like to be a Christian. I'd like to be forgiven of my sins. I'd like to be a child of God. But you don't know the things that I've done. How could he forgive me? You, you don't know how, you don't understand the, to the, the depths to which I've fallen. Please believe me. 
when I say that there is no depth that you can fall to, that the grace and mercy and love of God can't, can't seek you out and restore you. If you but call on his name and repent of your sins, you will be saved. And maybe you're a believer, but you've fallen away. The same is true. Maybe you're like the prodigal son right now. Maybe you're out there in, in the pig pen, wallowing in the mire. Maybe you've well and truly screwed your life up, one bad decision after another. You can choose to sit there and wallow in that, or you can get up and come home and be embraced and restored and received by the Father. Do the lamb. Come home. Be restored. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for these, just these beautiful pictures that you give us, these beautiful examples of, of mercy and grace, Lord. We thank you for this example of, of the sinful woman and the prodigal son and Peter, people who have who have sinned greatly, yet your grace abounds, Lord. We pray that you would help us just to latch on to that grace, to set our hope on you. And Father, we just pray for anyone here this morning who's in that spot, Lord, in that struggle where they're being pulled in different directions, Lord. And they want to come to you, but they're struggling to let go, Lord. And we pray that you would just break those chains that bind. You would release them so they could embrace you, Father, and receive from you. We pray that in your name, Jesus.